You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. Hey everyone, it's Candace and Cher with Processing Trauma Out Loud. Cher, we did an episode last week on why is it so important to ask for help? I love the discussion that we had and just some of the things that we didn't even talk about that we were going to share, but even some stories on the goodness that has come from asking for help. Though there's goodness that comes or should come, that's just not a true story for everyone. So there's a lot of reasons why it's so difficult to ask for help. And what we're going to do today is just have an episode and talk about there are really significant reasons why it's so hard to ask for help. So we just want to name those today and just ask our listeners to be curious if they can relate to any of these reasons why. So important to recognize again, when we talk about brain science, our brain has its reasons why asking for help or not asking for help makes sense. We talked a lot about some of the things that come up automatically in us. It might be sensations in our body. It might be thoughts that that come to our mind. And I think it'd be great to just kind of talk through some of these. I think the first one that came to my mind when we talked about why is asking for help so difficult is I think the feelings of shame can really come up quickly for me, where I will literally feel a shutting down in my body of why I don't want to ask for help and why I don't feel like I'm worthy of asking for help, why I think people will say no, why even like I feel silly, like why can't I figure this out on my own or why can't I accomplish it on my own? Why do I even need to ask for help? So I think for me, shame is something that comes up and really stands in the way for me. I don't know. Does that, do you ever experience that? Well, before I tell you my one that I experienced, I want to just, you, you mentioned last week that you saw the ways that I have been working and the things that I've done differently and still, you know, sincerely trying to do differently to change those neuropathways in certain ways. But I just want to say, I know very few people who have taken this work so seriously and yet also, you know, have also found some joy and laughter in the journey, right? That you haven't let it consume you, though at times it has felt very, very heavy. I, I don't know anyone who has done this more profoundly than you to, to actually experience the changes that I've seen in you, that others have seen in you, and that you've seen in you. But I have one thing that came to my mind when you just shared, I will never forget this. And it was you starting to feel safe enough to step out and be courageous and ask for help. And, and you were shaking and trembling because I saw it. Mm. You posted a video just to our group. I don't remember how long it was, but I think it was several minutes. I watched that video and I knew that you were doing something that was going to rewire your neuropathways. You reached out to us and very vulnerably. Wow, I just got in the feels about that. Yeah, me too. Asked for help. And we all move towards you. Yeah. Something else happened for me. I felt inspired. If she can do this, maybe I can do this too. Mm. And but here's the thing: you didn't do it just once. You began showing up. And and I want to say I have a part that wants to use a cuss word right now. 
you had to work through so much shame. You had to work through the fear of feeling too much, too needy. And you did, girl. (laughs) (laughs) And you do it. Oh, I want to just say this. You do it like in this childlike, but beautifully mature way of saying, not only am I going to ask for help, I believe that you delight to give it to me. That's what changes neural pathways. Wow. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that day. I remember that experience. I remember, yeah, I can really feel that. And I've thought about that for a long time. And it is interesting because there were, I can look back on moments that I will say, like you said, like this was a, this was a life-changing moment for me. And I, I remember I was encouraged to like put myself out there and to believe in the goodness of, of others that I could come and say, here I am, raw, vulnerable, scared, young, and have a sense of hope that I would be met there with gentleness and kindness and responsiveness. And then to receive that, which I did, was life-changing for me. That was, we talked last week about things that can intersect our neuropathways and help us establish new ones. That was a day that, that that really happened and an experience that brought that. And And I can say it was hard. I labored over could I ask? Did I dare? Feelings of shame, feelings of vulnerability just were at the forefront. And I knew it felt like such a big risk. And I did it. And Mm -hmm. it changed my life because I was met with such goodness. Yeah, I'm so glad you did that. When we started this journey, you know, three, four years ago now, we were being guided. We we had wise guides. We had women and men who had gone before us. And they were at times inviting us to, to do something different, to try. And we didn't even always know exactly what we were doing. We, we kind of, we, we may have known a little bit of why we wanted to heal, but we didn't always know, but we we trusted. You said something. You said, I wanted to be able to trust in the goodness of others. So my question is, what was that like for you to, like, it feels like a big, why it was so hard for you. What, so what was that like for you not to be able to trust in the goodness of others? Those are the messages that are written into my my body and in my brain. And we we talked a little bit about arousal structures. And we're going to talk about this more next time, because I think this is such an important topic. Yeah, I mean, the truth is, is that I think and I, I don't have a lot of specific memories as a child of asking for help. But I know the data of what my home was like. I know the data enough to know that help might not have been available or that help came with a high cost, or that there was shame. No, I'm not going to help you. Go figure that out on yourself. Or ridicule. Oh, seriously, you can't do that by yourself, right? Like I know the data enough to know that asking for help was not a safe thing to do. And so I learned. I learned to become independent and self-sufficient and and figure things out on my own, find solutions. And some of those are giftings. Like I love some of that about myself. Like I love to figure things out and find solutions. But as a child, 
I needed help. And as an adult, I have needed help many, many times when I could not bring myself to ask for it. I think that part of you that one, there's some gifting in there that, that you have a brilliant brain and you really can figure things out. And also the reason why it was so hard for you to ask for help is because the message was there's never a time to need help. Yeah. Or it's never okay to ask for help. I want to say that as children develop, there there is it it takes this understanding of helping your children feel empowered to do what they can do. We don't want to go in and help them when they don't even need help because then we take away their their agency to feel good about the things that they can do. But for for kids who have more of the fear of asking for help because it either there would be a cost like you said or it just wouldn't be provided that doesn't just change when you age <laughs> i said this in a few episodes ago and i was just listening to it the other day and it just made me smile you knew help was out there and you just kept asking it maybe had some seasons where you felt hopeless and weren't but you always came back to asking for help. And this time, several years ago, you were seen so well that that shame began to dissolve. It's true. It's shame is such a powerful thing. Shame was such a powerful thing in my story has been such a, a very difficult thing for me to deal with how how easily that even the smallest things that I would want to step toward would I would immediately encounter shame, which had the power to really shut me down. I remember and this was many, many years ago, the first time I ever saw a therapist and she referred to shame as an emotion. And we got into a little mini argument where I said, no, shame is not an emotion. It is a monster that is set on devouring my life. I didn't even really understand back then what it was, but shame is powerful to stop us from getting the goodness that we can get in life now, particularly as we move toward places where healing is available and get not only educated through books or podcasts or seminars, but where there are more and more people who are trauma informed, who can move toward us, like you shared last week, how your coach moved toward you with such a tender, beautiful response where you were covered in shame and condemnation and accusation and how experiencing that can disarm shame and allow transformation to come in ways that we have wanted and longed for, for maybe decades. So true. And I was thinking about my relationship with asking for help and definitely the shame of asking for the kind of help that I felt like I needed or the reason why I felt like I needed help. There was so much shame around that. But what came to me, and, and we identified this as one of the reasons, is that we feel like we're a burden. And, you know, that was a consistent feeling that I had growing up that I was the problem and I was the burden. And to, to ask for help meant that I was inconveniencing other people or what I wanted or needed was too much, or, you know, it was a burden or I was the burden and that it put a burden on people to need their help. Working through that as, as I grew older, really sent me into a lot of hiding and pretending and performing, which we know shame does, right? So that sense that all these adults in my life had much bigger problems than I did. 
for me to come along and say, I need help was it, it, it didn't feel like there was space for my needs. The problem with that was the older I got, I got myself into some situations that I had to have help in. I had to have help. And so I do have some stories of seeing, and I know you do too, where where you had some people authentically move towards you with kindness. I think that's where that hope stayed alive in us is that we were getting these pockets that we knew people were, were wanting to move forward and help us. But which leads us to the other reason why it can be hard to ask for help. When it comes, can we receive it? And I think in this whole topic of of the burden, of it being a burden to ask for help, and even, and also, can we receive it, has a lot to do with the belief that that other person who I would like to ask for help, that they have the capacity to hold my need. Yeah. And I think when we grew up in situations where the the adults around us did not have a capacity to meet us in our deep sense of need, we believe that our need is too heavy of a burden for anybody else in the whole big fat white world. Right. And that we we can't ask for help. And that then if we, if somebody else identifies our need and moves toward us, we will even put a barrier up against receiving their help or their care because again, I think it, it can have a lot to do. It can have a lot to do with shame. It can have a lot to do with not believing they have the capacity. It can also have a lot to do with the fear of payback. Like what will I owe you if I let you help me this time? And maybe I feel like I don't have the capacity for whatever will be demanded of me for payback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very real struggle when that has been played out, especially like the messages have already been there from childhood that it's kind of tit for tat instead of just the gift of receiving, yeah. you know, help in time of need. You mentioned another thing I want to cover before before we close out today, but you you said, you know, dysregulation and, and I'm going back to your video. You were dysregulated, but you were still staying, you know, maybe just a little bit outside of your window of tolerance. And can you just say more a little bit of how dysregulation plays in being able to ask for help and why that's hard? I think that when we think about asking for help, usually there's a sense, there's going to be a sense of vulnerability along with that. So immediately we will feel sensations in our body. We Mm -hmm. might feel hyper aroused, meaning we go to the higher end of the scale where we feel a sense of anxiety or fear or, or even anger. Like, why can't I just figure this out on my own? Right. But where the energy level in our body gets higher and we become hyper aroused and that can be just a little bit to where we feel it just a little bit, or that can be a lot to where we are then really reacting and living in that moment, in that scenario, we're living in a state of hyper arousal. The sensations in our body can also be such that it causes us to go toward hypo arousal, which means where we will shut down, where we will distance ourselves, where we will avoid contact and, and, and might even feel some sense of, I would not survive. I would die if I had to ask for help. And these are these are usually places that are very, very young where our needs were not met and we had some awareness that we might not 
survive. And so I think the dysregulation that happens in our body when we think about asking for help, a lot of times we don't even recognize, but if we can begin to recognize, okay, and I will encourage our listeners to think about an area where you would like to ask for help, but maybe you've been struggling to ask for help and maybe just take some time to sit with that for a little bit of what, you know, who who would you go to and what would the scene look like? Where, where would you go and what would you say? And then become aware of what are the sensations that are your, that you're feeling in your body? Where are you feeling it? Are you feeling it heavy? in your chest or the pit of your gut or, you know, a twitching shoulder, what, whatever, but most likely there will be sensations in your body. This is a very good indicator that there is dysregulation. Now, can you just sit with that dysregulation in, in for a little bit and just move toward it with curiosity? Like, and I, and I will do this all the time now where I will be like, oh, I feel heaviness in my chest and then maybe I'll breathe a little or I will tune into it a little. And I think we want to talk more about this next week and in much more depth, but but paying attention to how I am dysregulated and, and, and paying attention to the sensations that I'm feeling in my body and bringing the four S's there, just, just like, like, just like you're tending to a little child, see it, soothe it, bring safety, establish a sense of security. Allow the sensations in the body to be soothed so that then you can come back again to thinking about, okay, could I ask for help and move toward that again and see what happens. So this can be a practice. This can be most likely there. This will require a process. Yes. And a person. And a person. It's hard to do it alone because of the neural pathways are going to always keep taking you back. But Becoming aware of how we are dysregulated and why we are dysregulated and what the arousal is in our body, even in something as simple as asking for help, as simple and as complex as asking for help. This is just so important. Well, I want to invite our listeners to do what you suggested. And if if that feels too hard, Will you email us at CandiceShare at gmail.com? And we will either possibly be able to work with you, but we will we will find you a good, safe person. That that is one thing that Cher and I feel very passionately about. We we're not just going to look up counselors in your area. We're, we're going to help you find a trauma-informed, possibly IFS person. Not, not that everybody's going to be perfect, but we just care deeply about finding good, safe help for our listeners. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's important. Like that's why we're doing this work. We want people to receive the healing that is available. And you and I both know, Candice, the healing is available and it, it's a process. It usually takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes a lot of times it, it does require a financial investment, but the healing that we have longed for our whole entire lives is available and we are experiencing the goodness of that. And we just want the whole world <laughs> to experience that kind of healing too. Yes. Amen. Once again, my friend, it's time to say adios. And I look forward to our next discussion where we're going to get into more of how does our arousal structure play into this? Yeah, I can't wait. Love you, friend. Love you too. 
Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. One last thing, if you have found this podcast helpful in any way, or if you have questions on how to take the next steps on your healing journey, please reach out to us via email at CandaceShare at gmail.com. That's K-A-N-D-A-C-E-S-H-E-R at gmail.com. Our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Auditory LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.